0: tal amigos? Welcome to the Christian Podcast, the last radio on earth. Broadcasting to the world from a tiny studio in Costa Mesa, California. I want to thank all of you who are listening from around the world. I want to give a special shout out to my crazy friend, Rachel Mulano. Well, you don't know Rachel, but she's a Colombian British girl. And that basically means that she's like a mix of Shakira and the Spice Girls. And I met my friend Rachel a while back in my city of origin, Guadalajara, Jalisco, Mexico. Rachel was sort of like an exchange student and she was studying Spanish at the time. She's one of the persons that actually flew across the ocean to come to my wedding here in California more than 10 years ago. And it was because of Rachel that the following awesome conversation was birth. I have Rachel as a friend on Facebook, and recently she posted a few videos of the city of Bristol in which I saw a crowd toppling down a statue in the middle of the city to later on throw it in the river nearby. Now the issue with the statue is that among many good things the guy did for the city of Bristol, he was also a slave trader. And that is just a big no-no. And that is just a big no-no. You can Google or research more if you want to get to know who Edward Colston was, if you have any interest. So, I was so intricated by the event that I reached out to my friend Rachel, just wanting to learn more from her experience. Now, the funny fact is that my friend Rachel helped with the political campaign of the current mayor of the city of Bristol in the UK, Marvin Rees. And here in California, the church I attend in Costa Mesa is also home church for the former mayor of this city, Steve Menzinger. Well, as I have mentioned before in my blogs, I'm always thinking of new ideas and then this idea was born. What if we can bring together for a conversation on the Christian Podcast these two mayors who possibly have very different backgrounds and ideologies, but both of them believers both of them in leadership roles in their quiver. Well, my friends, you're about to listen to an amazing talk where the primary goal was to be able to listen to each other and learn from one another before trying to get our points across to the other side. I hope you find it challenging, helpful and inspiring, as it was a joy for me to host these two fine gentlemen, Marvin Rees, the mayor of the city of Bristol in the UK, and Steve Manzinger, the former mayor of the city of Costa Mesa, California. With no further ado, here we go. joining the Christian Podcast, I'm going to record all of this and then it'll be, uh, I can edit a few things here and there, but um, I'm really honored that both of you have joined this conversation and I want to start up with a little bit with who I am, because I think this will bring perspective to our conversation. I am Beto Gudiño. I am the host of the Christian Podcast and I'm an immigrant, I live here in the United States, I've been here for about 15 years. Uh, but one of the things I love about this podcast is that we have people listening from around the world. So I think in a sense, I, I represent sort of the rest of the world. And in my own view, I see you guys as almost the epitome of Western civilization. You know, one former mayor, one current mayor, uh, in, in terms of, you know, how capitalism works and, and that sort of stuff. And I think conversation is the way of the 21st century. Um, so I would love to start with, with um, Marvin, who is our guest from far away. Who are you, Marvin? Could you tell us a little bit about your service as a major in Bristol? What does that mean to you?
1: Yeah, I've never been described as the epitome of Western civilization before, so, <laughs> so that's an interesting introduction. So I'm the Mayor of Bristol. It's a city of near half a million people. We're about, um, about 100 miles west of London. We are one of the 11 core cities, which are the 10 biggest cities outside of London. Uh, you know, we're for around a quarter of the UK's population uh, between us um it's a it's a it's a very significant city over a third of the world's natural history broadcasting blue planet planet earth and all those other of programs uh, comes through bristol so you know we're a city that has quite a global presence and historically bristol was a port um and its relationship to the u.s through the tri- and the caribbean through triangular trade uh, was really part of the um one of the key drivers of bristol's economy i myself um I was born in bristol my dad came from Jamaica as a 12-year-old, and my mum is of Welsh-English heritage and, before that, Irish. And so my white heritage go back in the city for uh, centuries. We, in fact, we recently found out that my great-great-great, however many greats' grandfather was born in a, in a workhouse, which was for the very poorest people in, in the city some, some time ago. So truly established in Bristol. And for me, this is just about making sure it's an inclusive city, making sure it's a city for everyone. And the circumstances of your birth don't determine the circumstances of your your life and your death.
0: So good. Thank you. Uh Marvin, and let's go to Steve. Uh Steve, could you tell us a little bit about your involvement in the city of Costa Mesa, your you know, former majorship and what does that mean to you?
2: Sure, you bet. <clears throat> I'll just tell you a little bit about myself. I'm I'm uh I'm the I'm father of uh, of two boys. and married for 35 years. Um, I'm a native of California. Actually, our family came to California in the 1800s. Um, and Marvin's interesting. A lot of my roots go back to England. Um, some some uh, some French, uh, but but uh, and a little bit of Danish. But uh, a pretty good mix. My my uh, genealogy. My father's traced our genealogy back to 700. So not really. uh, there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of English in all of this, uh, for obvious reasons. But um, anyway, I'm a, a business person here in California. I've been in the real estate industry for uh, 35 years. Um, I, I'm an alumnus of University of Southern California and grew up in the Central Valley. Um, and uh, moved to, to Costa Mesa in my, in, in my younger years and stayed here. Um, Got interested in politics and was the mayor, was on city council, planning commission, and uh, in Costa Mesa for uh, nine years. And I was the mayor for the last two years in my term. Um, It's a city of about 116,000, 16 square miles, bordered by Newport Beach and Huntington Beach. Um, It's uh, rich in history, but nothing like Europe uh, in terms of we're we're, we're relatively uh, childlike when it comes to history. We've, we've been around for about uh, 125 years um, in modernly, uh, or 150 years I should say. At the point, um, So anyway, I, that's uh, that's my background. I'm a member of Beto's church and, and I've gotten to know Beto and he's, he's a great guy. And, and uh, I'll add that uh, Beto's introduction was interesting we're all we're all a we're a nation of immigrants. There's no country on earth that has uh, more of a mixture of immigrants than our country, and so um, and you and you've talked to people and and every every ethnicity has a story and it's fascinating. Um, there's not a lot of generational there's not a lot of generational wealth in the United States. There is in the last couple of generations, um, but it's really a small percentage that uh, this is a nation of entrepreneurs and. Politically, um, my focus has always been how to level the playing field and let everybody realize that.
0: That's so good, thank you, Steve. Yes, and what would you say? Just, I want to start off with trying to laugh with each other a little bit. You know, trying to make things um, not too too Seriously? intense at the beginning. Would I, I just want right now, off the bat. Would you tell me something embarrassing that has happened to you guys, being the mayor of your your particular cities? Just something fun, a story you know you're you just want to tell the world that, you no know, can make people laugh. Let's start with Marvin.
1: Oh, you should give me a warning because now my mind <laughs> has gone blank. It's like all the clouds have fled away. In the... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Can I tell you one? Can Don't I? Can yeah, I'll tell you an embarrassing story from before I was mayor, All if right. that's okay. So I was asked to go and interview Tony Blair for a podcast. And so I went up to Downing Street and I waited in a room for uh, Prime Minister, as he was then. And I needed to go to the bathroom. So I went off to the bathroom, came back, interviewed him, half-hour podcast, went across the road to see my friends and he said, my flies were undone. <laughs> so uh, I left a bit. I don't know if I don't know if the prime minister noticed. Wow. Hopefully he didn't. But yeah, I thought, oh, geez, I've just been walking around Downing Street.
0: That happens to me all the time. time. That was
1: about fifteen years ago, so I'm past it now.
0: Wow, that's funny. That is funny. That happens to me all the time. But you know, I'm in no no leadership position like you guys are. So I think, no, no worries with me. Steve, is there any embarrassing moment, any funny moment that you recall, either as mayor or just no? You could tell us right now
2: well i think marvin Marvin knows um all too well that when you when you when you're in politics you have you have to give a lot of speeches you have to you have to meet a lot of people you have to have a lot of public events and i've actually i actually went to a speech and I was in a hurry and i got i got to the um i got to the venue got to the podium and I completely forgot about what i was going to talk about and so <laughs> that that uh you just have a mind blank, like Marvin just mentioned. You you kind of look at it and you go, okay, what? what and it, it, it lasts about ten seconds. I had a pregnant pause. And the other <laughs> embarrassing moment I'll share with you, which everybody can uh, everybody can, especially politicians, can relate to, um, was I, I received a um, I received a honorary award from a, a group here in in Orange County um, after an event occurred and. Uh, that touched my whole family. And and I had a speech written and it's the first time in my life that I broke into so much emotion I couldn't say a word. Literally forty five seconds and and the uh, MC came up and said this is the best political speech ever. <laughs> and, I, and and I just said thank you and that was it. And it was and people came up afterwards and they said if every politician would stop speaking, <laughs> we we'd be a lot better off.
0: <laughs> wow. Do you agree with that, uh Marvin? <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> but well, we talked off by saying about the need the need for dialogue. So yes, I know. <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I love, listen, that. Listen, love that.
2: Listening is important. Absolutely, it, It's those distinctions. Yeah, exactly. What's yeah.
0: Okay, and I love that you mentioned dialogue because that's really where we're gonna we want to get with this conversation. And I think you guys already mentioned a little bit of your background, your history. And I would like to know, just recently. What have you been learning from history? Um, history is known as you know the we study history so we don't repeat the same mistakes that we have committed as humans in the past, right? I mean that's that's what I was taught when I was in in middle school, in high school. They always told us don't repeat the same mistakes. That's why you have history. What have you guys learned recently from history that? that you don't want to commit the same mistakes in the future, especially in your leadership um, or roles as major, as former major, as a person involved in politics, as person of influence, what would you say is something you have learned or maybe that you even want to change? Would Let's start with, with Marvin.
1: If I can just share two things, I, I suppose they're learnings or, or, or strengthenings of previous senses really i think the first is that the world is complicated and people are complicated Mm. and as i I, I was in an interview with the financial times and i said well actually all of us as fallen human beings have complexities contradictions and hypocrisies within us so if you put if you put 60 odd million people on an island which is which is us over here you you don't think you're going to end up with contradictions and hypocrisies i mean that's just the way it is and we need to be gracious towards each other um, in, in the face of those. Uh, we had an incident where a statue was pulled down uh, to a slaver in the city, and the easy thing was to categorise the people that pulled in down as one group and the people that then organised a rally the weekend after to protect the senator as another uh, faction. But as you know what, people were multidimensional, and they had a whole range of views on, um, on, on within, that, within that debate. Um, and in fact, I'd say one of the richest times I had was with one of the people that turned out to, to run the rally the week after, uh, concerned about what had happened the week before. Um, and the second thing I would just say is that the status quo, non-change, is very adaptable. The forces of non-change are very adaptable and very resilient. Um, so we end up with these momentous times in history. World War I was the war to end all wars. And then we had World War Two. We come off that. We had the Cold War. You know, we've come through, uh, in your country, civil rights movement, globally, all the independence movements. We had the anti-globalisation protests. We had debt cancellation. We had the financial crisis. We've had all these moments where we said, OK, now's the time to stop and think about what we are doing and how we do it. And, you know, pretty soon we find out we are, our systems, whether it be by personal choice or in personal economics and politics, are just repeating themselves with the same themes. Um, and so change needs to be grabbed and, and
0: pushed. Thank you, Marvin. How do you respond to that, Steve? Uh, or, or I don't know if you want to say what have you learned through history, or is there any reaction to that?
2: Well, I'll, I'll react to it first. He, uh, Marvin's right, um, actually, and I, I want to start by saying, first of all, there's probably no greater country, no greater friend to our country than Great uh, uh, Britain. It's a uh, we we share so many commonalities. As I'm listening to Marvin. Uh, um, Forgetting the political monikers, I'd vote for you. I mean, not knowing your, not knowing your, not <laughs> knowing your your ideology uh, quite yet. You're you're very. Uh, you hit all the key points. I'll add to what Marvin said. I agree with him. But the one thing that I've, my family's been in politics for hundred years, um, or more. Uh, the one thing that that I, I that I hold dear to my heart is the government's great, but small government's better. So um where marvin and i might disagree is I'll, i'm a maggie thatcher uh uh fan and i like government i just think government in, in and of itself is is inherently evil um because man's inherently evil and and uh, so the, the less of it the better um and what marvin said is exactly right we we always have something that's going to be the last it's going to be the last war it's going to be the last uh, financial crisis it's going to be and, and politicians tend to screw things up more than, than not, by right? not letting the market, the market forces kind of solve the problems. Um, and we could go off on a, a tangent on that in, in our own experience from 2008, when, when some of the things that we did actually created more problems down the road in, uh, in, in solving our financial crisis than, than it solved. So um, the other thing I'll say, your original question is what have you learned? Uh, wisdom is wisdom is gained uh what i've what i've a couple things that politically i have learned not to say and that is never Hmm. uh because whenever i say i'll never agree or i would never be that person or i'd never support that i find myself over time finding uh finding refuge in some of the ideas of the of the never category so um and i would say that 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 i've learned that the older you, the older you get, the more seasoned you get in politics. Um, there are some negatives, right? But there are a lot of positives, and the positives are experience and wisdom. And so, uh, don't take sh- don't take shots at the old guys because they have <laughs> a lot to a lot to share with the with your with your country or your uh, or your city or your or your state.
0: Wow, that's very open minded. What you're just saying, you know, um, never say never, pretty much, and. How did you react to, I mean, especially Mayor Marvin, when you were, when I saw the video, you know, people toppling down the statue, is that something you need to agree upon? Is that something you consent and you say, let's do it together? Is that something that stirs, you know, conflict in your own heart? Is that something that inspires you? Like, what did you feel when, when that statue was going down?
1: I, I, um, so I will say at the Begin. I should have declared an interest as well, by the way. Um, in terms of my relevance, uh, obviously, I'm. This is a global, you know, world and all that. But I'm married to a, um, an American myself. I have uh, three children who all dual nationality. And wow. much of my Jamaican family are Jamaicans. They call them. Right. They've uh, <laughs> got a lot of Jamaican family uh, in LA, um, Atlanta, Maryland. Uh, so there's a lot of us over there. Um, So on the statue, I mean, it'd be good to pick up on the government thing, but on the statue, no. I mean, I was clear that as an elected uh, mayor of my city, I cannot condone criminal damage. And pulling down a statue was criminal damage because we didn't ask for it to be pulled down, didn't give permission. Um, uh, But at the same time, and this is a contradictory world, as I pointed out, at the same time, I cannot do anything other than admit that having a statue to a man that that made um, his wealth by uh kidnapping and transporting 80 to 85,000 Africans across the Atlantic um uh, we estimate around 19 to 20,000 of those were thrown overboard en route and we have to you know have to have the records of the stock on the ships um it w- was anything other than an affront to me not least because um uh, not only was it a statue which is uh, which, which statues don't actually do history part of the myth they don't teach us about history they honor people um, and there was a plaque on the statue describing him as a virtuous and as one of, of the most virtuous and wise um, sons of the city. Um, so to me, that would be just bad history. Basically, it's not emotional, um, no tears. It's just how do you tell how do you do history properly? Um, and the history around that character wasn't done properly. And there's a place of honour in the middle of the city. So. Um, as I said, we'll, we'll go through the process now to see the, the legal system will kick in for the people that were involved. Um, but am I sorry the statue's gone? No.
0: Yeah. And, and I saw the statue later on. Uh, one of my uh, little conflicts in my head was that I was seeing the statue go down, thrown in the river. It seemed like an act of, OK, we are getting rid of of. That sentiment of oppression of slavery, let's you know throw it in the river. But then, a few days later, I saw wow, now it's getting pulled out and it's gonna be put in a museum. From what I read, right? Yeah, we're so, putting
1: it. We're putting it in a museum to do proper history around it. So actually, what's happened to it um, will be um, will be told. That's part of the statue story now because what happened around it, the point it became a focal point. It, it tells us something about the city and the world at this time as well
0: so you think there's a there was a place for the statue but maybe the place was not in the middle of the city where you can really like that there, the proper place is a museum where you can see the history and why it's there
1: well again i mean you got to work out what you think statues are for I, I mean i don't think statues teach us history statues are there to honor people and then, and then, you know, everyone's got their right to say who they want to honour as long as they own the full story of that. Um, yeah. You know, someone kidnaps people. We had, a, we had a character in Bristol in the UK right, they called Jimmy Savile, who's a well-known TV personality, raised lots of money for charity, gave many, much, much money away. Uh, he was honoured all over the place until they found out post his death that he was actually a paedophile. Well, then it didn't take long before they started to go and tear down his monuments and and little statues to him around the place and the memorials. People made a decision that they didn't want to honor him with uh, with statues because they found out the full story of of who he
0: was. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you react to that, uh, Steve? Do, uh, do you have any any feelings? You know, I know sometimes no, we're we're friends on Facebook and I see sometimes no similar. Narratives going on in the U.S. with the you know, toppling down of monuments and things like that. How do you feel to to what's happening in your own country, Steve? And maybe, you no, know, the picture of a statue falling in the city of London.
2: Well, I think I think what the, what made me sad. Bristol, I,
0: sorry, Bristol. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Um, what what kind of made me sad is I'll never learn about that because I probably won't see it if I don't. The one thing I, lo- I love about Europe and I love about uh, London, and, and not only from a statutory point of view, but just from a historic point of view, is the, the history of, of the country. And it's hard to learn history if you're tearing things out. And, and I, I don't disagree with Marvin. Um, we have Confederate soldiers that have statues. And, and there was a great war in our country um, fought in the 1860s that, that obviously a lot of people died uh, fighting. And those statues got erected for a reason. Um, and I think when you look back, and you talk to historic, historians, they were, they, were, they, were, they were erected to help bring our societies back together, which is interesting. Right after the Civil War, um, Robert E. Lee, who was the general of the Confederacy, surrendered. And what he said to all his soldiers is, we'll be one again. Right, so we're not we're not going to take up arms. We're not going to be guerrillas. We lost the we lost the war, but we're really Americans. Um, well, there are a lot of people in the South that want to continue the, with guerrilla action and want to continue the killing. They wrong headed, But one of one of the concessions that our country made was you can honor your own um, generals for, for for their leadership. Um, but it's one of the concessions we're going to make in order to in order to to um, bring you back into the states, the southern and the northern states, and be part of, the, be part of our nation. Um, that's a context issue. So you really have to look at statues and say, why was it erected and in what context? Tearing things down or destroying books or burning books or not allowing free speech um, really rubs me the wrong way. And, and Beto, one of the things that we talk about is the Black Lives Matter issue, the BLM issue. It's, it's more of a political issue than it is a cause. Black lives obviously matter, um, and, and it gets said so rhetorically, it doesn't mean anything. Um, but the Black Lives Matter group that I send you information on, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a cause group anymore. It's a political fundraising group um, with, with ideals which are contrary to our countries. Back to the statutes issue, I, I think you leave them alone, I think you put them in museums in an orderly way, and, and uh, you leave them open for discussion. You can't learn about history by tearing things down. That's what the Taliban do. That's what the, that's what the, uh, that's what ISIS just recently did uh, in Iraq and in and, uh, and, and, uh, 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 Iran, not Iran, but uh, Afghanistan. They destroy things. They don't want you to have any memory of it. It's, it. Statues are there to learn, whether they're good or bad. Now, would I erect a statue today? Um, yeah, maybe to Jesus Christ. He's, he's perfect, but everybody can find fault in a human being. Um, but unfortunately, in our country, more of people want to tear down statues of, of uh, Father Sarah, um, of, of some of our founders of Christianity in our country. Um, and that's the natural outgrowth of this, let's just tear things down, let's destroy things that have uh, no meaning to me, and they don't do it in orderly or lawful way. And so it builds up more animosity on both sides when you allow this to happen, especially as an elected leader.
0: What do you think, Marvin? Do you, I, I see you're you're kind of like processing.
1: Well, no, I think I think we just. I'm very careful in the way I describe things. Um, I think it's not. I don't think it's uh, fair or helpful to liken the tearing down of Colston to. Uh, book burning, as, uh, as the Nazis uh, were obviously engaged in, um, for a number of reasons. One is, one of the frustration. I mean, when we talk about not knowing about that history, not many people knew Colston anyway. What they, the, the, the brand of Colston in Bristol uh, was of a, a wise and virtuous son of the city who gave lots of money to poor people. Nothing about his relationship with Catholics, which wasn't very great. Nothing about the fact that he only gave certain money to certain strands within Protestantism, so you had to qualify. And nothing about the fact that he made his money from people trafficking. I think all these are really important. Um, they, these are really important um, aspects. Book burning um, actually gets rid of uh, what, knowledge. Um, what's been happening over here, and I think in other parts of the world, is people are saying, we want the full story we want we want good quality history telling half the story whether it be about founding fathers of this city or the uk or actually founding fathers of the united states telling half the story of of what they what they are is not good history and i'd say it's it's actually deceptive history and it's really important that um, people have the opportunity to learn that um and i think the best place for statues And again, I I do agree. Though there is a process to go through, Um, if the political system can can serve up that process, right? And it it doesn't always have the ability to create the conditions in which people can have rational debate, which is one of the my concerns about the United States at the moment. Um, But if the political system can can create the conditions in which people can have that kind of discussion, then then we'll be the better for it. If it cannot there will be um, these moments where emotion and anger and frustration uh, bleed out. I mean, and that's U.S. history, isn't it? You know, you had the Boston Tea Party, you know, uh, was not a peaceful act in many ways. And what what then came off the back of that was not a peaceful act. It was a group of people expressing their desire for truth uh, or their, their sense of truth and for freedom.
0: Wow. Can we become... I I love the idea that you guys were talking about. You, Steve, you mentioned General uh, saying, let's become one, it's time to become one. Uh, And Major Marvin, or just Marvin, right? Um, Marvin, you were saying in a country of 60 million people with difference of opinions, difference of ideas, different backgrounds, um, immigrants, you know, natives. How do we become one? how can we be one and then i just want to throw a few words you know steve was saying you know, black lives matter uh donald trump when we throw these words in in the mix jesus religion how do we become one when these are so embedded into into who we are how do you seek unity you said at the beginning that you'd like for your city to be um inclusive So what are you doing as a leader to provoke unity, to provoke becoming one? Let's start with Steve. um, Or no, if you want to react to what what Marvin was saying too, but in light of how can we be one?
2: Yeah. So again, in the the context of of the world, I don't know how you become one. I think we're, I think uh, e plur brisunum, that's that's on our, our penny, that's in mini one. So we're we're all individuals. We all have our different uh, we all have our different uh, backgrounds and, and um, what's what's what I think Marvin what, what the be- the better question is how do we respect each other and have, have different while well, we have differences and how do we communicate? Marvin touched on it earlier. We need to we need to listen more. Um, Marvin has an ideology. I have an ideology. I respect Marvin's ideology. I respect his country. That's where it really starts. Um, if you start with it with, with on that basis, whether it's the United States or it's England or it's any country right now, the the um, great civilizations disintegrate when there is no dialogue. Um, civil war occurs when the dialogue uh, the, when the dialogue disappears, and and so I think respect. Um, the one thing I really admire about about Great Britain, the English. Is, is um, they have they have a really interesting form of argumentation, especially in a parliamentary process. Um, it's very civilized, and it's fun to watch. Right? And, fun to and, watch. Uh, <laughs> it's fun to watch. It is messy. It's fun to watch. It's messy. The Americans, uh, the United States, were largely English that gate uh, the island because we wanted freedom. We're a little less civilized, so we are what we are. But it's, it's, not a, uh, it's not a knock on the United States. It's, the United States is still the greatest country on earth, and, and we're, we're everybody. Um, but we're, we're different. So I don't think we'll ever be one. I don't think I want to be one. I think I want to have respect for other cultures. Um, and, and I think that's, um, I'm not a big fan of the United Nations. So I'm not a big fan of, of, of a lot of what they, what they propose but I am a fan of, I am a fan of, of, um, mutual respect.
0: Sweet. Marvin.
2: There may be some overlap
1: here and, and then there's obviously some uh, divergence as well. The overlap is that one of the points I've been making in Bristol is what we're not trying to do is pretend we're all the same, right? We're different. And the, the the art of place-making, city-making, country-making is, is, Learning uh, to live with our difference uh, without it pulling us apart, so my my own history is of someone of black and white heritage right now clearly I'll be categorized as black and, I, and I've grown up as a black person, but my, you know what I do not allow is someone to take away from the fact that actually I've got you know w- white roots in this country that go back longer than many pe- many people, certainly in the city um, now my my di- my, my difference my mixedness does not pull me apart. I can set my being more Jamaican and recognising my Jamaican heritage does not take away from my English heritage. If I'm recognising my English heritage, it does not take away from my Welsh heritage. And if you know anything about the uh, British Isles, England-Wales rugby matches are wars, right? Because of the way the English treated the Welsh back in the day. And my granddad from a small Welsh town called Merthyr Tydfil wasn't allowed to speak Welsh by English, like oppression. You're talking about... Kind of brave heart culture here right and uh, when it's going on so celebrating any aspect of my identity doesn't take away from anything else and how we scale that up to the group is is really important um, and i don't pretend my mum's not white i don't pretend my mom, my dad's not black they just are and we live coherent at lives i actually married a white american whose parents are from the jewish uh you know evangelical republican tradition right and we are a family my children and their grandchildren so you know sometimes we have to stay away from politics at the dinner table but you know we we make that work um on the issue of reconciliation i think that there's a very uh, strong lesson actually from christians to bring to bear here so how do we live with our difference how do we do reconciliation i think that i I'm, I'm really minded of jesus in luke 4 says that i you know i've come to declare the year the lord's favor as a key passage for biblical understanding that's from Isaiah 61. It's from Leviticus 25. The year of the Lord's favor was the year of Jubilee. And when God said, I'm making you a nation on this earth. But what did, what did, excuse me, I'm not my, but <laughs> what did God say to do to make sure that that nation stayed together? Every 50, year, there were, every 50 years, there was to be a year of Jubilee, which for me was about looking at the issue of economics. And I do not think you can build quality human relationships of any substance across gaps of wealth and power poverty and powerlessness that are that have got to the point where they're perverse. Um, I think if we look at Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus' pathway to reconciliation was to make restitution uh, for what he'd done. Jesus did not deter him from doing so. I think it links up. We look in the book of Nehemiah. One of the judgments on the people is they were not practicing at Jubilee. And I think that as Christians we can be on the
0: I know, I know, you're a church or you're a content creator and you're looking for those royalty-free songs so that you don't get all those strikes when you try to put a video on Facebook or YouTube or any other social media. Well, I have the solution for you. Because Soundstripe offers me royalty free music, sound effects, and video. And if you go now and enter promo code Christian Podcast as one word Christian Podcast, you are going to get 10% discount on your Soundstripe subscription. So go to ChristianPodcast.com and click on the tab that says royalty free music sound effects, and video, and it'll take you to Soundstripe. Enter promo code CHRISTIANPODCAST and get 10% discount.
1: On the forefront of saying, if you want to do genuine reconciliation, it's free, but it's not cheap. It should be about as, it should be about as abstract and spiritual as the nails that went through Jesus' hand and the cross that was on his back. Outside of that, it should be about as real and physical as, as those things. And I, I think that's where the church can really be, uh, you know, on the front foot of bringing a mature um, understanding to what it takes to build genuine community and genuine, uh, uh, genuine uh, societies.
0: And when you say, you no, know, with your family, you've got to be careful when you talk about you know, politics and knowing that they come from an evangelical, uh, Republican background. How do you bring reconciliation in the midst of that? I mean, how do you bring conversation to to what seems uh, in a, a little bit divisive, right? When we think like Donald Trump is like, you either like him or hate him. It's like, what do you do then? What do you do, Steve?
1: Well, I mean, I'm from an evangelical background myself. worked for the tier, tier fund, which is an evangelical aid agency. Went to Eastern University in Philadelphia as well, so um, th- this is this is my background. And I just like to say, I don't think with Trump, it's either you 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 love him or you hate him. I- I'm just dismayed by him, and that's slightly different, but significantly different.
0: What makes you dismayed? Feel dismayed?
1: Uh, I see. Uh, to me, it's a hopelessness. It's divisive politics. Um... Uh, and I'm um, even just uh, just the way that the that the, I think as a as a leader, one of your jobs is to craft a national conversation to craft space for be for people to be able to talk across and understand and live with difference. And I just don't see it coming uh, from uh, from the leadership.
0: Well, what do you think, Steve?
2: Well, I think it's perspective. Um, yeah, to to. Uh, it's the old adage: "to To one man's villain is another man's hero." Uh, I think I certainly don't, and, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying uh, politics and and, and uh, religion are, are dangerous things to mix together. Um, although everything is politics, and, and including Marvin. I was an Episcopalian um, actually, so the Church of England was where I, I was confirmed. I'm more of an evangelical today because I left the, the that, that church because of what I saw as um, a, a church that became too political um and, and didn't represent what really what I'm looking for in, in my relationship with Christ. And so um, I think I think in the in, I think in the end to answer your to answer your question, um Beto, I think all of us uh, together can reconcile things, but it takes, it takes listening. Not, the government won't do it, Donald Trump will but um, Tony Blair can't do it. It's really going to take each individual um, in this country to say we've had enough. Clearly in our country there is discontent with, with in Europe obviously Barack Obama is very popular. Um, my personal perspective of Barack Obama was, uh, was, was not as good. Um, I felt more like Marvin felt about Donald Trump. I don't think he brought people together. I think he was divisive. Um, and so that's that's a perspective. We have two different individuals with 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 a similar sentiment on different people. Um, I was in China in 2015 with a group of mayors, and uh, on on one of those infamous trips where they take you there and they baptize you. What's great about China? And we had dinners with all the governors, um, and well, four governors and and six mayors in in, uh, five different provinces. And we weren't supposed to talk politics. That's the one thing. You can't talk Taiwan. You can't talk politics. And so uh, the very last night, very last dinner, um, the governor of Guangdong said to a group of nine of us, including John Chang, who's our treasurer, state treasurer, he said, I want to know who you think is going to win the election. This is 2015. Everybody went around and they were apologetic about about uh, about Donald Trump, but of course Hillary Clinton's going to win. I was the last person there, and I said, "I think Donald Trump's going to win, not because I like the man, because I like the message, and I think I think I represent." Um, and Beto knows me well enough, Marvin. You really don't. Um, Beto knows me well enough to understand that that a lot of a lot of the, a lot of the sentiments of this country are represented by my feelings and that is we've been disappointed with what we have in politics it's not necessarily barack obama washington dc has become versailles and and the the the, there there is there is an immense there's an immense backlash against that that philosophy this country doesn't want Versailles. we don't want a queen as much as i love your country i would i could not i could not fathom having a queen it just doesn't. It runs against our culture, um, and Washington D.C. and the politics have become uh, become uh, become overbearing on our society. Lobbyist, messages, and lack of action. Donald Trump Trump does what he does what he says he's going to do, and that's something that's very American to to the majority, of the fly flyover country, uh, in our in our nation. So. Um, while I'm disappointed sometimes in what he says, he's human. He's a human being. I'm disappointed in Beto, but I love Beto. <laughs> All right? I, 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 you know, it goes, it goes without saying. Everybody I know, I get disappointed in. Um, there's nobody other than Jesus Christ that's perfect, and Donald Trump is not one of them. But I think in the end, he represents change this country wants. So. And 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 I apologize for any inference, Marvin, that there is because it, I don't think Donald Trump attacks you. He's, he's our leader, um, but philosophically, I think he's 100% correct. He's he's just very unvarnished in his in his approach. He's not English, that's for sure. Unvarnished is a word.
1: <laughs> I mean, I would say by government, um, because there is a view. There's a view there. I can understand. I mean, I'm not. I'm not a die-hard uh, royalist by any stretch of the imagination. Um, because we live here, it doesn't mean we are, um, you know, followers of, of the institution. And when people say they're proud of a country, even my country, I, I, I'm wondering what we mean, it, 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 sometimes because there are elements to be proud of. I'm proud of our National Health Service, for example. I'm proud that our police don't, you know, police buy cons- I'm proud that our police, uh, police by consent and don't carry guns. Um, unless they're called out for special um, situations. But at the same time, I recognize that disproportionate numbers of black people still die in police custody are stopped and searched. And I'm also very wary that in, even in my own city, a fifth of our children grew up in income deprived households. I'm not proud of that. So for me, just to say I'm proud of something where we've got such poverty, um, gaps between rich and poor, hopelessness, that mental health in the city, um, you know, is a challenge. And what I've sought to do is to celebrate the things that are great about bristol two world-class universities brunel La port, world-class tech and and all these other things that we we brandish on the on the global stage but for the sake of the integrity of our city is to acknowledge that there are tens of thousands of people in the city that don't share that as for government i totally recognize what you say and that sense of um despair with uh political um, institutions uh when i was at university i came out with a catchy phrase that i worked with um, that government was corrupt, corrupting, and could not be saved. And so I swore that I would work on the outside of government all the time, working for campaign organizations, trying to get the, uh, the change I need, uh, or, or, you know, I was, I was hoping for. Um, I've obviously gone on a bit of a, uh, you know, my own journey with that, and and waking up to, I thought, was, was essentially some bad mentoring by uh, people who were phenomenally members of the establishment. But my concern is that if we don't have government, it doesn't mean there's nothing there. It means there's something else there. So in my city, I'm an elected politician, but the University of Bristol is a small town within Bristol. It is essentially its own government with thousands of students. I was at Yale a few years ago. It's the biggest economic organisation in New Haven with its own police force. It's a small town. There are companies now that are with economies bigger than um, than nations. Uh, Facebook is a classic example. They are, in a sense, governance. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we we may not we may have faults with government and I'm not a fan of big government or small government I'm a fan of government that's big enough to do what it needs to do which is where 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 companies and the private sector has not managed to take care of the poor uh, we come in and we do the job of working with them to take care of the, take care of the poor but what's that phrase right power abhors a vacuum if we don't fill a space of governance with with as, as faulty as it is, democratically, democratically accountable organisations, some other organisation will fill that space that is less democratically accountable and actually whose primary responsibility is to is to produce um, good numbers for um, shops, um, shareholders. And the drive to produce good good numbers may not actually come with any values, um, and that's a real concern. It'd be very dangerous just to withdraw without having
2: a clear idea of what goes in its place.
0: what do you think steve
2: oh i I, uh yeah marvin marvin says a lot of things that that i agree with um that i think the difference is i don't think i i don't think something will replace something else um because ultimately what makes our country great is individuality and individual power so the, the power uh, and Marvin, you probably know this because you're, you're a highly educated man, but the power in our country, our founding fathers wanted it to be at the local level. Um, they wanted it to be the mayors. They wanted to, to to be the counties. They wanted it to be the associations of, of men farmers. Um, what's happened in our country is power has, has, has moved to D.C. And I've seen it in my lifetime. I'm 57 years old. Um, I went to Washington, D.C. 30 years ago. Um, and and it's a different place than it is today. Today it's run by lobbyists, multinational lobbyists. A lot of English, a lot of French, a lot of Russians, a lot of different people, and that's not what our country wants. Um, and I think in the end, I'm not anti-government. I'm small government with a with a capital S. And and uh, one that one that reacts as a mayor. The great thing about our city uh, is. Beto could come talk to me about issues, and he knows that. And, and uh, as an example, I, I set out a goal in our city. We have we have 3,200 miles of roads, 16 square mile uh, city. I, I set out to walk every single street and meet every single person I could meet on those streets, and that experience alone is is unique. And that's really what our founding fathers wanted in our country. They wanted us to be connected with our with our residents. Um, but. But compassion is, compassion is a fleeting process, and I don't think government's role is to solve all of society's ills. I think government's role is to create an equal uh, level playing field so that we all have the same opportunity. And uh, I think is a great example of that. Uh, government hasn't done a lot to, to give him what he has today, his own efforts are. Um, a lot of people like to take credit for what Beto is today. But the reality is, it's it's he is what he is today because of, he's an individual with it with a dream. That's the uh, that's the bedrock of our of our country. Uh, he doesn't need a government program unless unless Beto, unless Beto, there's some government program you're looking for that I can help you with. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you want to hear that. I don't think you want to hear that. Either.
0: Yeah, so I, think, I think I yeah,
1: I mean I do take your points. I mean, I just there's a few things you say that really um, kind of uh, spark thinking. First of all, your your point on local leadership um, and devolving, I'm actually involved in a big global movement on that at the moment. So the Global Parliament, Mayors, Mayors Migration Council, um, even I've been involved with the US Conference of Mayors, which you may have been involved in yourself, which is about, you know, I spoke at the Boston um, event in 2018, I gave the the final uh, talk uh, where Marty Walsh was hosting. Um, Sure. My point is that actually global governance is, is busted as it currently tries to work. It's, the, it's not just about bad policy, it's about bad machinery. And national governments working alone are no longer equipped to cope with the war's challenges the way they are. So, we can agree, so our drive has been how do you move national and international governance into its next iteration that will have the leaders of cities and networks of cities as equal partners in shaping national and international policy. So that it's, we're facing this around COVID in, in the UK a national government that stands behind um, desks in um, in London trying to think up solutions for Manchester and Bristol, who are radically different cities in terms of their makeup. That model doesn't work. So I'm all for um, that power being um, devolved down. Um, Central. But I would, I would say, though, that I don't think, I mean, there is something that feeds itself in, in politics amassing power into the centre. But that doesn't happen with politics in an abstract. I think that's tied in with the economy, too. So, DC controls the United States, but surely so does Wall Street, and and you know, and that stockbroker, you know, the, the kind of the, the shareholder drive. And it strikes me that what you begin to enter into is a conversation also about principalities and powers. You know, the world is more than just a collection of individual decisions. There are processes that exist beyond any individual's decision. The great crash of 1929-32 was one of those. It wasn't, it's not, there's no single individual decided to crash the economy. It's just, you know, a process that feeds itself and collects itself. The financial crisis of 2008 uh, w- would be another one. Sometimes wars are like that. It's not that an individual decides, but, you know, events begin to rally themselves up. So I would just be, that's why I'm a bit wary about saying that, uh, that what anything is, is a, a collection of individuals. I think there are these impersonal, disembodied, uh, processes and forces that that shape our world that we're part of. If I if I just say one other thing, just, to, just about individual endeavor as well, that um, I think is also worth bearing in mind. The UK is one of the most socially immobile countries in, in the OECD. Interestingly, uh, along with the United States, that the circumstance that it was an economist said one of the biggest decisions you can make in life, you have to make, is who your parents are. People's life chances are determined by the circumstances into which they're born, before their effort and their talent. This is just what the data um, tells us. Um, and so, one is that is a fundamental injustice. It's an um, for those individuals. It's an economic liability in that we leave millions of pounds worth of talent undeveloped every year simply because it was uh, born in into poverty. And it's a political responsibility. In my city, business has actually been getting quite mobilised around this, working with us because they're realising that you cannot compete internationally with so much talent left um undeveloped but primarily this is about a political uh, collection of policies across housing mental health access to um, educational um, opportunities that can go some way to redress um those those inequalities and to me that's just like taking care of widows and orphans which is the which is the prophetic instruction uh, from days of old how do we stop the circumstances of your birth being the single most important determinant of where you end up in life
0: wow i, I can't uh
2: i can't i can't touch uh, some of the some of the large nets that you just cast on that but um I will, i'll say this the the guy that i'm looking at right now um who's hosted this event is an example of why economic equality is is more a figment of your mind than it is of the Reality in this country. Um, if Beto wants to make a billion dollars, I mean, I started my life working for a billionaire out of college that started with zero. And and I've, I've worked for three other uh, family offices currently of uh, people that have um, net worths over a billion dollars, and not one of them was a generational uh, individual. They're all people that made their money um, without. The, the help of, of a uh, dynasty. Um, and so what's unique about our country is the social injustice um, did exist and does exist, but it's, you're, you're, you're far more inclined to find it as, a, um, as an archaeology of your society in Europe than you are in the United States. Um, there is nothing stopping you in this country. Um, educational inequality, I, uh, Marvin. I laugh at that because um, I sit on I sit on several boards, educational boards, and the number of people, that, the number of, of minority, technically minority groups receiving uh, financial aid is so disproportionate to um, ordinary uh, secular or, or, or white folks in, in our country. It just it's just over the top different. So. The only thing stopping you in this in our in our country is is your your uh, attitude and, and whether you really want to achieve something. Nothing giving something giving stuff to people are one of the are one of the biggest challenges, and outgrowths that we've we've uh, we've struggled with since the 1960s. Um, I'm in the housing business as an example, Marvin, so I can tell you from experience, um, housing programs and, and and how they work and, and how they succeed and how they fail. Rarely does government get involved in a housing program that doesn't have massive challenges um, and massive fraud. Um, and, and and if you're a true free market person and you understand economics, the only thing that that dictates affordability is supply. So, if you don't have enough supply, you have to increase that supply, and if you increase the supply, the cost will go down. Um, we don't set our prices based upon an index of uh, I mean in the industry. We set our prices based upon demand. So, um, it's kind of off the topic, but I, you, you hit on you hit on one of my hot buttons in terms of uh, economic inequality. This is just it's just not there. Beto's is a living example of that.
0: Well, you already mentioned me three times as, you know, uh, I love it. I love it. I love it, though. Uh, I think really what you're saying is, you know, capitalism is good, right? You no, know, you work hard, you earn what you're working for. And I, I think there's some truth in that, especially for me, um, for sure. You know, if I don't work hard, I'm not going to get anything. But there, I also see, especially we're on Christian podcasts, and we know Marvin has mentioned a few uh, scriptures that point out, you know, how Jesus lived or how we are are to act. And one of the things that it's coming to my mind, as you say, even when we were talking maybe like a week or so ago, you were sending me some emails you know, about the whole Black Lives Matter and you know, politics and stuff in America. And one of the things that that i read on the article no it was actually you said a uh, noble prize said to you a Nobel prize uh reci- recipient that he said the only place where communism exists is in heaven right it, but then when we read acts 2 it actually describes the church as being so generous that they were selling all their possessions and they had all things in common, taking care of the needs of each other. And I think, I mean, for sure, that's not, not even political. That's just a human, human issue. It's people taking care of each other because they believe that's how God created us to be. Now, the thing here is, how does that translate to, to politics, really? How does that translate to leadership in you know being the mayor of of a city how is that how is your faith inform your politics and this is something i've learned recently do we allow um politics to inform our faith or does faith inform our politics so what do you think uh is what happens in you guys you guys are in in, in leadership positions you guys have the influence how does your faith shape and you you already mentioned a little bit of it but how does your sh- your faith shape your politics
2: He's first i know ahead. Ahead. <laughs> <Go ahead, Stephen. laughs> oh, you go steven it's okay um i think i think it's just foundational but uh, i think um we we as we as human beings are are are, are influenced by what and shaped by um, foundational aspects, and, and without religion, there is no foundation. Uh, morality, our laws, everything is based upon um, the teachings of, of, of Christ. So, um, I think it's a—I think it's self-evident. I think uh, I'm probably more fallible than Marvin. I'm not perfect, and I don't mean that in a bad way, Marvin. I think you're tremendously talented guy but I struggle I struggle with um, with absorbing some of the political decisions of our leaders and and, uh, and when I was a leader myself and active I struggled with uh forgiveness and things that, that that you know are, are human so um, but without without uh, my faith I think I would have been a lesser of a man.
1: Um, so no, I please don't it's not I go go on a race to the bottom of fallibility here. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm honest, I'm a fallen human being working with an imperfect political party in a broken political system in a desperate world. and uh, where I am at is saying, how can I try and make the best out of this right? And, and I, I challenge um, people in the church about in, in being involved in political systems because um, I say this is like the parable of the talents. You know, Sometimes I say to good people about getting involved in public leadership and they say, oh, it's not for me. My point is, well, maybe it's not actually about you. Maybe it's about a set of talents and, and abilities you have and you bringing those and putting them at disposal. You know, And actually put them into play in a democratic system in which you don't walk away from the table with everything you want. And there are some days you're going to go home and you're going to say, yeah, we did good today. I did that negotiation and we came out on top. And some days you're going to go home and you're going to say, we didn't do good today. I got out-negotiated or or we weren't able to make it work or we ended up choosing the least worst option. To the outside world, that looks like, you know, you're sold out, you're compromised and whatever. But actually, to those who've been in positions in leadership, not just political, but in church leadership as well, this is an everyday occurrence, right? It's how do you make the best out of a fallen world? Um, so, so I'm in that um, boat, too. Um, it, as for my faith and politics, I mean, I get a lot of uh, hassle on this, well, I say a lot, you know, there's efforts to portray me as some kind of you know, mad um, guy trying to introduce a theocracy into Bristol and all these types of nonsense. My point is that, you know, I grew up with just my mum, right? We grew up on benefits in a council house, public housing in the UK. Um, I was lost for a while. In the 1980s, we had the big riots in UK cities. Um, you know, we were poor. We, you know, struggled to eat some, you know, have enough food in the house. You know, I did all that. And what I would say, there were a number of key interventions that, that helped me through, right? Um, having a stable home, having a loving mum and family, um, boxing, having a couple of teachers that um, really believed in me, travel. Um, i managed to get outside the city and my faith which gave me a sense of the infinite and gave me a sense of purpose and meaning uh, beyond just trying to be rich Um, and so i had a sense of purpose now i'll challenge anyone to come and tell me that i should not be informed by the thing that helped me get out of the circumstances of my childhood you know and i don't you know an anti-faith perspective on that i'm ready to go if you want to have that discussion um and i'd say to challenge anyone and and i know you're not of this fan but barack obama in his speech in 2004 said what do you expect someone to do Pretend you know put their put their faith cloak um coat on the hook when they come in the door and pretend that's not them no and likewise people who don't have a faith shouldn't come in and pretend that they have one just to try and meet the room be authentic and and be yourself and i can no more separate my faith from who i am than i can my blackness and my mixed heritage and my englishness it's just it just it just fl- flows through me and." and I mix that with my experience of the world and and come up with my approach to to what my priorities are and how we try to solve them.
0: Wow. Beautifully said, man. How can you affirm each other in your roles of leadership? Just kind of wrapping things up. Um, How would you affirm Marvin, Steve?
2: Well, i think he's i think he's a talented leader he's, he's obviously a a, a a good man a follower of christ um, from a great country from a from a great uh, city um we have a lot of similarities that's what i will say marvin we have we have a lot in common um, probably more than you realize um, and i think uh, i think it's important that all of us understand and and share that communications and and uh and respectful conversation is essential for if our world will survive if our countries are going to survive if our states are going to survive so we can't um and i will add that marvin i really don't care what your color is and i don't mean that in in a i don't patronize you but but um it uh uh, I don't see you as, as a as anything other than uh, a an Englishman, <laughs> other than somebody from from Great Britain. So, and I say that to Beto all the time too. It, it's what makes our country great. I'm just used to it. Um, I don't I don't I celebrate our I celebrate what what's great about us. But um, Marvin, thanks for your thanks for your words. We have a lot in common. You're always invited. You're you uh, you can come stay with me in California if you ever come out here. You're invited, and and you can see, yeah, Fedor and I can have some fun with him. Mm.
0: That would be great.
2: Share the word.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I think, um, yeah, there'd be there'd be you know, chance for a rich conversation. I think, personally, what I would say is um, to affirm. I'd say I, I believe you. Believe what you're saying. And that's not meant in a condescending way, and that matters to me, right? I don't like, um, you know, that's not cheap, recon- you know. I, I, one of the things I look for in in people when I'm talking to them is, do I think you're really sincere about what you're saying, even if I differ with you about what you're saying? And if people do, you can work with that. You know, I've got a friend here um, in the UK who used to be in the National Front, which was, a, which was a racist party, right? Which is a kind of, you know, come out of the 1970s, mm-hmm. You know, attacking black people, Asian people. He's a vicar today, um, in the Church of England. Uh, but the interesting thing is, he'll be honest about his story, and that's interesting. So I, I find that really rich. Um, and I don't think you you find you know the challenge of reconciling and building relationship does not come across because we're all the same. It comes, it comes about because we are working with our difference. So one is, I, I believe you believe what you're saying, even if I disagree with with your ending point. Um, and that, that gives us the scope, space for a conversation. The second point I'd say is something I say here, not just on, not on religious disputes, but on any dispute. Let's not jump to the end of the line and talk about where we, did, where we disagree. Let's begin to move upstream and find out the premise of what our, you know, our, our experience of the world. And let's begin to find those points at which we do agree. Again, not looking for cheap agreement or, or cheap reconciliation, but sometimes we get tied up in the conclusions and we haven't. We've missed out the fact that the reason we're having a different conclusion is because we've got a different premise, or we've got a fundamentally different view on an event or a aspect of reality. And we need. We're not going to solve the ultimate, you know, visual difference until we get underneath uh, what's going on. Um, and and I, I think my. It's not really an affirmation. I suppose maybe it's an encouragement, and I hope it's an encouragement. Is that in a world in which, through uh, social media some of the political rhetoric. we got a situation now in which people go from zero to 100 miles an hour in anger, right? You're either on or you're off. It's one dimensional, it lacks nuance. It doesn't allow space for um, um, uh, nuance, um, contradiction. Yeah, there's no, there's no graciousness as well, which is something I've talked about in my city a lot, the need for graciousness. Um, we've got to find a way of people with different conclusions uh, facilitating the discussion and helping other people to facilitate those discussions. Uh, because if we don't, it's not good. We're going to end up with a very bad situation. Well, we've got one, <laughs> but it will get
2: worse. And better. let me add one thing. Um, sure. As, as Marvin, Marvin I, I couldn't agree with him more. He's 100% correct. Sometimes the best reconciliation is understanding our differences are not fatal. That we can we can have a different opinion and we can still love each other and much like our families, um, it, it doesn't separate us. We don't have to agree on everything. And and uh, a good mayor understands it. My only sorry, and it's not to be a downer, but my
1: only qualification on that is that um, in in the middle of our need to do that, the world is not standing still. Um. And people are still dying because of poverty. And I know, I, and I appreciate that um, you'd see me as English and that I I got no, you know, I, I talk about my mixedness um, a bit and my my blackness and my whiteness. I don't mind talking about those things because I think it's interesting. My wife is actually Swedish, Danish heritage, white American. <laughs> so, you know, our conversation and all that is, is, you know, is interesting. She's gone on her own journey over the last. Uh, 16 years, uh, we've been married 15 years, I should get that much, right, shouldn't I? Um, but we do need to have those conversations, but also the, the platform's burning now. And the consequences of not dealing with our political and economic inequalities are, are playing themselves out in the lives of people every day. Um, so I, I think there's something about the church becoming quite, uh, well, very proactive and, and, quite, uh, and bringing those lessons of reconciliation to the world Um, With immediate effect I'd I'd always thought actually of the church That you know this this, Jesus tells us how can you be trusted in uh, big things If you can't be trusted in small things The jubilee is about Eternal reconciliation right? The way we were told to do it Was to be honest to be straight It's written with a massive redistribution Of economic wealth and power I'm I'm concerned of the church If the church cannot be trusted With jubilee in matters of Money and property On this earth how on earth does it think it is carrying a message of eternal jubilee, which is of infinitely more value uh, to uh, to God? Um, and I think that's a challenge for us.
0: Well, Marvin, you're a preacher and a prophet. <laughs> I but, no, no, no. <laughs> well, that, uh, I'm sort of like a pastor here, and I totally uh, agree with what you're saying in the sense that the church well first jesus said the gates of hell won't prevail against my church so i think we're going to see in the future we're in the 21st century at the start of the 21st century i think even covid actually made us realize like hey it's the 21st century forget not forget but no the the 20th century is behind you got a whole brand new century ahead of you and i think we're just realizing that and I think the church is going to thrive because it's based on the promise of Jesus and his promises will always... I mean, and this is just seeing it from the the perspective of faith. The promises of Jesus will always come to pass. But I think maybe the church, as we know it, will be different than what has been, than what we are used to know as the church because the church of, of Jesus is going to be the one that is... Uh, evident in the way they live their lives right he, he Jesus also said they will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another so i think the evidence of the true image of jesus is going to be in how we love one another in the in the 21st century i want to thank you so much guys for for having this awesome conversation i think there's a lot of depth in what we just discussed i think i'm even gonna like replay it a couple times because it's it's just so profound um this conversation is there anything else you guys want to say before you know we wrap things up is there one last thought you want to you know make people aware of or even each other or any questions you you guys have for one another
1: no,
2: it was
0: nice talking to you both. <laughs> Thank nice you for the time. All right. It's so good. Well, I want to commend you, uh, Major Marvin Reese from Bristol, England, in in your walk of faith, in your being a man of action, in your leadership. I just want to say, you know, continue to do so in the light of who Jesus is in your life. And I just have one more question for you, because. It's like, what is your next step in, in politics? Are you aspiring to, uh, Noah or do you have any higher calling right now that you what? sense? Or
1: I don't know. I I'm running for one more term, and then if I win after that, I step down because I think eight years is enough yeah. <laughs> for anyone.
2: Bravo. To have... We we agree. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we agree. You become you become a, a an anchor on a place. The, the city would need to reinvent itself after that time, and then and then we'll see what happens. That's a great leader, Beto.
0: <laughs> so good. Any last thoughts, Steve? Other than than cheering him on on last term.
2: Oh, <laughs> support your campaign. Send me an envelope.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So good. Thank you guys for for being on this call. Really appreciate your time and uh you know i pray that you guys continue to walk in your faith and maybe see you guys later when you come visit us here in in southern california make sure you give us a call and we'll for sure I love got, to show you around I've got
1: family in la so i'm supposed to be so, uh, well, No, we're, we're in orange
0: county
2: so I'm a little bit better marvin
0: yeah and just so you know one of the other things about costa mesa that i forgot to mention but it, it has the highest revenue mall in america which is South really? Coast Plaza. Actually in the world. In the world, wow. <laughs>
2: really? Yeah. yeah.
0: So Costa gets a big check, big fat check <laughs> from Before
2: the mall. Before
0: <laughs> That's true. Right now it's it's a little it slow. All right, well, gentlemen, great. thank you so much. Thank you very much.
1: Have a good evening, guys. Have a good thank day. Right
0: Bye-bye. Bye. Amigos, I know a lot of you have awesome takeaways from this phenomenal conversation. I would love to hear from you. I would love for you to leave some comments, to rate this podcast on iTunes, uh, to search it up on Spotify, to share it with your friends, and to visit us on our website, christianpodcast.com. If you want to get to know me, I have a few blogs there. My most recent one is called Go Back to Your Country, in which I recap an incident when I heard those words and wrote a song about it. So visit us on christianpodcast.com. Let's be friends. Let's make this world a better place. Bendiciones a todos. See you on the next one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Christian Podcast. If you liked this episode, share it with friends and family. Make sure you subscribe and leave a positive review whenever you can. You can also visit ChristianPodcast.com to learn more about our show. Hasta la vista.